regardless of how we think we've been doing, we've all been cultivating the qualities of stability, confidence, and well-being. And these qualities are meant to uh, really give us a bedrock, a foundation, to be able to see clearly, to be able uh, to have insight into the th- what we call the three characteristics, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness or suffering, and not-self. One way of um, looking at it, um, it, the three characteristics might be to consider it as three perspectives, three ways of seeing. Um, Though that points to instead of um, some kind of universal thing about the, you know, mountainous and permanent, that's that's not so meaningful for us, uh, at least most of us, you know. It, it's um, but if a, if we uh, refer to it as a perspective, as a way of seeing, it points to our own practice, uh, to how we experience uh, reality. So today I'm going to speak about both uh, impermanence and uh, dukkha, or suffering. And uh, tomorrow, um, Gil will talk about not-self. So change is a central feature to all our lives, to every moment. It it can bring us uh, the full range of human experience. Sadness, happiness, uh, pain, relief. Uh, Everything that happens to us is happening through a process of change. The the concept of impermanence is so central to Buddha's practice that the Buddha said, uh, his last words were, all conditioned things are impermanent. Strive on with diligence. And uh, someone said that um, impermanence can, um, uh, the practice can be seen as a long time medita- extended meditation um, on impermanence, that the entire practice is really a meditation on impermanence. Because when we watch what is, it's all changing, coming and going. Um, when I was 14, um, I had this very unexpected experience. I was uh, uh, kind of just walking down a hill, and for whatever reason, the conditions were such that uh, I felt this um, amazing uh, kind of light coursing through my body all of a sudden, you know, this very blissful, wonderful feeling. And for the first time in my life that I could remember, I felt complete. I felt loved. I felt, you know, amazing. And, um, and what I remember the most is the moment it started to fade. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it was so painful. It was so painful that moment. Um, And, you know, and and a little after, you know, I I realized it, it, the experience, um, gave me a really strong faith that there was something beautiful inside me. 
And it was the first time I'd had that, that really strong sense that, oh, there's something inside me that's beautiful. Uh, and it gave me this, this uh, uh, really strong, uncomfortable, painful awareness that everything beautiful goes away. And everywhere I looked, there was, n- you know, everything beautiful went away. You know, the sunset, you know, so what moment of the, of the sunset could I, could I grab onto? And, um, and instead of appreciating a sunset, it was painful for me to watch a sunset. Um, and uh, so years later, you know, when I, when I came into contact with the practice, uh, it was such a relief to have that addressed. Um, you know, I was haunted for a long time by this, and um, and there was. I remember reading this book, and uh, it used the phrase um, "terrible beauty," uh, which is from a poem by uh, by Yeats, and um, the line was, "All changed, changed utterly. A terrible beauty is born." Now it meant something totally different, <laughs> but for me it really referred to the fact that all beauty has this kind of terrible nature, everything good of, of, of disappearing. Um, you know, and the, the thing that as we watch life, as we watch the endings, you know, we, in some ways, you know, impermanence points to constant loss, but impermanence always points to constant growth. You know, everywhere where something ends, something new begins. Something constantly begins. The end of the breath, you know, the beginning of the new one. Uh, the, the, we, we're all recycled, right? We're recycled from the cells of our ancestors, from uh, the dinosaurs. We're just a recycling process. Um, so, ev- you know, it's, it's a, the flow of life, the flow of nature. It's, so it has the both sides of it. There is no stopping change, but uh, we think we we um, when we think during our conceptual mind, we keep trying to make things feel permanent and seem permanent. If you think about our fairy tales, um, happily ever after, right? You know, it's permanent. You know, you know we're you know married forever. You know, yeah, fifty percent in divorce, but you know we, we'll ignore that for now. <laughs> But uh, so, so we want to make things more solid than they are. <clears throat> so change is also constant, but it's also conditional. And that's really uh, one of the really important teachings about, about really understanding impermanence, is that because everything changes, uh, it's possible to make things better. We can, uh, you know, we're not separate. Nothing is separate. Everything is dependent on where we are. Like we're conditioned by, um, like my personal conditions conditioned by my parents, uh, my so- the society, my siblings, my friends, the media. You know, there's all the, all the factors, you know, the, the society as a whole, where I grew up. Um, you know, if, if I was raised in, 
in um, Saudi Arabia, I don't think I'd have the same uh, type of thinking, <laughs> you know. So, con- you know, we're all incredibly conditioned beings. Uh, some of our conditioning is really harmful. Some of the things, you know, are passed on from family to family to family, um, you know, and, and, you know, we carry a lot of the wounds of our parents. Uh, so a lot of the conditioning um, keeps us trapped, keeps us, uh, uh, you know, struggling, you know, with ourselves. Um, but what the practice teaches us is that we have choice. And even though the conditioning has a huge momentum, uh, by making different choices, we start shaping that conditioning in beneficial ways. And, you know, an important way of seeing it, um, you know, if you practice anything, right, you get better at it, right? So if you practice, uh, um, you know, you spend a couple of hours fantasizing, you know what happens? You get better at fantasizing. You become a really good fantasizer. But if you practice being mindful, you get better at mindfulness. And so really appreciating uh, or conditioning can really, um, can really make it poignant, you know, when we fall into these, these habitual ways of, uh, of being. Um, you know, uh, yeah, right now I'm practicing resentment. <laughs> Um, you know, and that is what we do, you know, that every time we, we um, uh, uh, verbally, you know, get together with someone and we, you know, uh, bitch about our resentments, you know, it just strengthens that in us, you know, we become, you know, better at it. Every time we make a choice to uh, let go and see, see the situation through new eyes, um, you know, it conditions us t- for the possibility of peace. We can say there are um, three ways of viewing impermanence. Um, one of them is the ordinary level. This is what you know the norm. The person who doesn't necessarily practice experiences, but but that we all experience also. This is the level of. Uh, you know, you watch children grow and they're they're gone. That's a huge level of impermanence. Um, or we have uh, things we lose. You know, health, loved ones, um, uh, jobs. Uh, all these things that that happen in life. You know, um, are very obvious. Um, when really large, unplanned changes happen in our lives. Um, some people, without practice, uh, just by by meeting those changes, um, sometimes are transformed by them. Uh, so, uh, for instance, um, you know, I know I, I have friends who, um, you know, they're very kind of well-to-do financially, and they lost everything. You know, they suddenly lost everything, and it brought them to practice. It completely transformed their lives. It brought them to practice. Um, and um, I remember um, reading the, the, the story of this uh, uh, young man who got diagnosed with AIDS in the very early days of the disease. 
And he said he had to really slow down because he couldn't function anymore. Um, you know, couldn't function normally, and he really, uh, you know, had to do things one at a time, and and everything took a lot more effort. And and but what he found, which was um, was that he, for the first time in his life, he was present. Uh, he wasn't trying to accomplish. He was, uh, you know, not trying to do things. And um, you know, he said at the end of the article, he said. You know, if there was a cure, you know, and at the time there wasn't anything to be done, um, he said, if there was a cure, I'd be really happy. But honestly, I'm actually the happiest I've ever been in my life right now. And so, so change can have such profound effects when we open to it. Then, the next way of looking at impermanence is what we call the insight level. And this is when we drop the concepts in our minds, we drop the labels, the stories, and we watch our experience, which is change, right? Nobody stays stationary there, you know. And, and this experience of, of being being with change uh, in a meditative state without concepts is a very powerful part of our practice. Um, one of the things we learn is that uh, even things that ordinarily seem uh, kind of solid aren't. Um, I don't know if how many of you have uh, worked with pain recently. You know, uh, often first day of retreat, a large percentage have that wonderful opportunity. Um, and uh, what you n- might notice is that uh, when you actually pay really close attention to pain, that the uh, and you look for the sensation. Where is that pain? How can I feel that that the center of that pain? And you you connect with it, and then suddenly it's gone, and then it reappears right next to it. And then you pay attention to it, and it goes away and reappears. And it's kind of like it dances, uh, dances around, um, you know, comes and goes, you know, an inconstancy in, this, in, in the experience. It doesn't stay still. It doesn't stand still. And so this level of insight um, is really what creates the conditions uh, in the mind to allow the deepest level of insight, um, which is um, the liberating insight into impermanence. Um, so it's not something we can make happen, it, but, but as we, we um, you know, hang out, and you know, the more we hang out in this cons- conceptualist, uh, is that a word? Conceptualist uh, <laughs> um, state of of watching the flow of of uh, experience. You know that impermanent flow of experience. Uh, you know it it just generates that uh, that field for us to be able to um, let go enough for this liberating insight to arise. Um, and lastly, in impermanence, I'm going to say um, there's also the, what I call the Yogi Bruce way of seeing impermanence. And uh, again, that's my husband. 
<laughs> and um, and that fourth level is impermanence lasts forever. <laughs> so. In, in ordinary um, impermanence, the, um, the ordinary way of looking at impermanence often um, can lead us to uh, dukkha. You know, a lot of our dukkha, um, a lot of our suffering sometimes, you know, often happens because things are impermanent. You know, or health is impermanent, or the people in our life are impermanent. So a lot of the dukkha we experience comes from comes from uh, the fact that life is, you know, uh, is is impermanent. Um, dukkha is often translated as uh, suffering. Uh, it's translated as unsatisfactoriness, or stress, or discontent. Um, and the one thing about um, all of those, um, you know, uh, translations, I think they're all unsatisfactory. And and so for me, you know, I prefer the word dukkha because at least it kind of begins to touch the whole range of, of of all of this. Um, you know, dukkha is such a huge spectrum. It's a huge spectrum. You know, from the really severe pain and anguish we can experience in life to the, you know, it's a little too cold, or um, I'm a little tired, or I've got an itch, but it can all be dukkha. All of that is dukkha. It's, it's like, you know, something isn't quite, quite right, or boredom. You know, some, you know, most people wouldn't call boredom suffering, but it's, it's definitely something that, that we, don't, we don't want. You know, we, um, uh, you know, we definitely, it's not something we, we like or enjoy. <laughs> Um, you know, and that's the first noble truth, you know, that there is dukkha or unsatisfactoriness in life. And, and the, all, the rest of the noble truths are really about how do we resolve that. So it's, it's really central to this practice. You know, and, and it's not meant to be depressing. You know, sometimes, you know, when people hear that, you know, they, you know, they kind of, oh, okay, this is going to be one of those talks, you know. Um, but, um, you know, it's really uh, in contact with this that, that um, you know, liberation can happen because this is reality. Um, you know, the thing about uh, really seeing dukkha, where it is, how it is, how it how it plays out in our lives um, is really what allows us to be intimate with life. We can't be intimate with something the way we want it to be. We can only be intimate with something the way it is. And this is the way it is. You know, we, you know all conditions are at some point unsatisfactory. The Buddha said, all I teach is suffering and the end of suffering. So that's the good news. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing is like suffering or dukkha is 
very different an insight into dukkha. You know, when we, when we feel dukkha, we f- tend to feel contracted and, and kind of, um, you know, our energy's a little bit compressed and, you know, and, but any insight into dukkha is kind of vital and energetic. Um, it's an insight into it. It's a, it's a seeing clearly. But we all have this idea, you know, I find myself, um, you know, I find myself on retreat so many times, you know, even with the teachings, so hearing them and so close to me, just getting trapped by the idea, if only I can, I do this, this and this, and these things happen, then, then, then everything will be okay. Um, so we get we get trapped in the idea that we can fix this or that that things are that somehow we can manage our lives so that they somehow we just won't have dukkha you know so um you know in in just sittings you know um you know having you know working with pain you know i remember so strongly you know it's like oh if just this pain would go away then i could practice and just so strongly and and you know lo and behold at some point the pain went away and then i was really really sleepy and uh you know pain keeps you awake right you're alert with pain you know and and so then oh if only i could i could be alert then i could practice And and so on, you know, and you know, so so we keep, um, you know, uh, turning away from this this uh, discomfort, this uh, this pain. Um, one of the things that um, uh, Ayakema said this, you know, I really, which I really uh, like. Um, she said that um, Dukkha is her best teacher, right? Um, and uh, no matter how much you beg of Dukkha, it, um, it doesn't listen to us and won't let us go, right? You know, you, you, you can't coerce it. And um, she said, you know, if you, if you um, tell your teacher that, um, you know, oh, I'm really feeling, I'm feeling ill, I'm feeling really bad, you know, I think I, I should go home. You know, a teacher will most likely say, the human teacher will most likely say, uh, oh, of course you can go home. But Duca will say, uh, sure you can go home, but I'm coming with you. <laughs> so it's, it's, um, you know, the only way to, to, let go from of dukkha is to see through it, to transcend it. You know, to have the insight into how how our clinging on a very deep, deep level causes the suffering we experience. Now, one of the um, one of the the songs that that um, has come up in my mind, you know, I, I don't know how many of you get earworms, you know, um, but this is one of my earworms, you know, and uh, was this uh, 1970s song um, of the Rolling Stones, you know, Satisfaction. <laughs> Some of you, a lot of you might know that, you know, and basically the words are, I can get no satisfaction, and I try, and I try, and I try. Uh, and that's, that's really the song, the, the heart of the song. Um, 
what a lot of people don't know about that song is that um, uh, Keith Richards wrote it in his sleep. He never knew he wrote it. He woke up in the morning and he found this recording of himself and he played it and that was the song and then, you know, f uh, interrupted at times with snoring. <laughs> um, so something, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much wisdom, you know, uh, he had, but it came from a deep, wise place inside him. So I wanted to touch on like three, three kinds of dukkha, three kinds of pain, three kinds of suffering. Um, the first one is dukkha dukkha, which is uh, the dukkha of pain, uh, which refers to the, uh, the suffering caused by the, basically the unpleasant things in life, uh, the things that... Um, <coughs> You know, it's it's also called the ordinary suffering, the um, the physical pain we have in our bodies, and the emotional and mental pain we have. From the very minor, like frustration, you know, I I um, you know I can't thread this needle, you know, that little bit of you know, uh, you know, that's that little bit of dukkha, the mental to to. Uh, you know the terrible things that 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 we can experience. You know, of loss and um, um, you know the thing about about ordinary dukkha is that nobody likes it. And but also we all share that. We all all life on earth has this. And you know that's um, you know for me it's helpful to uh, to really connect with that you know that we all all humans have this in common. Wow, we we all we all have this we all have this suffering, this pain, this unsatisfactoriness. All life forms. So the dukkha of dukkha, dukkha of pain, um, is really focused on the, it's about the unpleasant things that happen in life. The dukkha of change is the next way of looking at dukkha. And that focuses more on the pleasant things in life. You know, sometimes you think if we just get the pleasant ones, then, then it's all okay, you know. But it's the, the it's, the Duke of Change is the suffering we feel because uh, pleasant things won't last. So, assuming, for instance, um, if you watch a child, you know, they're really, ex they want this new toy, they get the new toy, they're really happy, you know, and it doesn't take that long for them to get bored with it, it goes away, it changes. Or, um, you know, you eat dessert, you know, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's very pleasurable, very pleasant. So you keep eating and eating and eating, and it changes, right? Or even if you eat just the right amount, what happens? Eventually you get hungry again. So, so it doesn't 
none of that lasts, and it's the fa- and that's a very um, uh, kind of dukkha we experience all the time, you know. And so then we kind of go searching for something else to get pleasure from, you know, or we get really disappointed, and and this happens in relationships a lot, you know. People fall in love, and there's this. Um, uh, you know, amazing happiness, right? You know, the, all the hormones are coursing through the body and, and people are just so happy and, and everything's great. And this person is actually perfect. They have no faults, you know? I mean, they're, they're just perfect, you know? And then as the hormone glow fades after some months, you know, then, uh, then there's an actual real person there. And, um, and so some people, you know, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with that person that I don't feel that way anymore. We've, I've got to find a new one. Um, you know, so, um, you know, nothing pleasant lasts. Everything, every pleasure is temporary. You know, and that's the terrible beauty. That's, that's what I was struggling with. And the third way of um, looking at dukkha is um, uh, the dukkha of sankharas. And um, whereas the dukkha of pain addresses the painful things in life, the dukkha of change points to the pleasurable things in life. The dukkha of sankharas, which I'll, I'll define in a moment, is, is refers to the... the neutral things in life, the things that are neither pleasant or unpleasant. Which if you think about, like right now, uh, most of what you experience is kind of neutral, right? You know, we, we're not really aware, you know, um, of the maybe the fabric touching our skin, um, you know, the contact of air on our faces. There's so many sensations and things we're experiencing that don't, you know, they don't, they're neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And uh, so the Duke of Sankara, Sankaras are um, um, the conditioned, um, uh, the conditioned mental dispositions we have. Um, so for instance, um, um, uh, I'll use this example, you know, um, for whatever reason, um, uh, I grew up uh, in my, my conditioning is such that um, I would watch a movie and it would open on a funeral scene and the music would start and I'd start crying. And it, it just it kind of blew my mind, really, because, you know, I haven't seen the single character yet. You know, and, um, you know, and so next time I watched the movie like that, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to be really mindful of this. And I watched myself, uh, the whole experience of just emotions coming up and starting to cry. Um, and I had zero control of that. You know, certain part of my conditioning had linked, you know, f- funerals, a little bit of music, and to to the full strong sadness, um, uh, and so this is a conditioned response from my upbringing. That's uh, for, from the experiences in my life, and we all have these conditioned responses all all the time. Most of what we do is conditioned, 
and um, uh, an example, another example um, of, of myself, you know, I was in a, um, it might be a little more, more relevant, um, uh, on, a month, on, a, on a long retreat, and I think I was a month into it, and, um, and I was really, really peaceful. I was so peaceful, and I remember going to the uh, lunch line, and um, you know, just really mindfully, you know, oh, just getting, you know, just feeling very delicious, you know, very, very, you know, wonderful, and and um, and as I went to reach for the dressing, my shawl caught on the ladle and took this big bottle of very, very oily, oily dressing, and spilled the entire bottle on the floor. <laughs> In this very, very quiet, you know, pristine, you know, spiritual environment, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I went from um, peaceful to heavily judgmental like that. That's conditioned responses. Um, you know, it was just went right there. You know, oh, I got in the clutch. Oh, and I was so embarrassed, and this flush of embarrassment went through my body. And, um, you know, and fortunately at the time I had a lot of spaciousness, and I was able to feel that, that horrible feeling of embarrassment, and that, um, and all those feelings, and I allowed it to move through me. I didn't clamp down on it like I might have at another time, and kind of gotten on my case about how, you know, how everybody's looking at me, and they're going to think I'm such a bad yogi, and, you know, and all these things that, uh, that we can do around something like that. Uh, but that's a conditioned response. You know, something happens uh, uh, where I'm not perfect, and, um, you know, uh, I beat myself up. You know, that was the conditioned response. So in a, in a conditioned world, at any moment, we have that potential for these, condi- you know, the ways we're conditioned to show up. And so, um, uh, you know, just like you have a wonderful relationship with someone and then they just say the wrong thing and we lose it. You know, it's conditioned, you know. And so it's, this is where um, we have the potential for great change for um, really benefiting ourselves uh, by the fact that I didn't contract around my embarrassment, that I allowed it to be there, uh, really helped loosen the hold of embarrassment on me, uh, really helped loosen that, that grasping around it. Um, you know, it's okay to be naked and imperfect in the world. It's okay. Um, To embrace dukkha as our teacher is profound. To, when we see dukkha, to really meet it, to meet it however it is in a moment, whether it's pain, whether it's disappointment, whatever shape it takes, but to meet it allows us that deep, deep intimacy with life deep intimacy with ourselves, which is what allows, what creates the ground, the deep ground for the liberating insights into dukkha, 
into impermanence, into not-self. And this, um, when we feel the, the, this dukkha that we all have in common on this planet, it brings, a, um, it really opens the heart. And that tenderness that we can feel, the, the compassion we can feel when we connect with the fact that we're hurting, the fact that other people are hurting, when we connect that, it, it really softens us and opens us up. And that field of compassion also is, is a big part of, of um, you know, not just looking at pain and I'm going to see through pain, but when we hurt, um, you know, it's kind of like watching a child hurt. What do we do when a child hurts? We, we comfort them, right? We're compassionate for them. And so in the same way, when we feel the dukkha inside us, uh, we can hold it with a lot of warmth, an embrace, just like we hold the pain of a child. So thank you.